I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic Magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in presidents like states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. After the Patriots pull this one off today, man, 17 to 14, they improved to one and one on the season. It was an ugly one. And one thing I will say about that before we get into greater detail in the game itself, we're going to chat with Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus. So we'll get into all the numbers with Mac Jones, et cetera, the formations that we've been ranting about all week. No play action. We'll ask Doug Kide about that in just a little bit. But I don't know how much more games we're going to get with Ian Eagle and Charles Davis. This is not a very good Patriots team right now. It wasn't a good Steelers team either. I get it. Both these teams are sort of national brands, if you will. The Steelers have fans all over the country, and we know the Patriots, of course, have become a brand. Thank you very much to the Tom Brady era, et cetera. But I don't know how many more games are going to get to enjoy with those guys. So it was fun watching these guys today, Charles Davis and Ian Eagle, because it was a lot better than what we got last week. I don't know what the hell Greg Gumbel and Adam Archuleta were talking about half the time. So it was nice to get an A-level broadcast today because it's something that we did not get last week. But it does feel like you sort of have a sigh of relief here with the Patriots picking up this win and not going to 0-2 because you start this season 0-2 considering who you played. This Pittsburgh team with Mitchell Trubisky, the Dolphins, and I know that Tua had a big day today, but I'm not overly impressed with Tua. I've made that abundantly clear. So you could not go to 0-2. And it felt like many times in this game, the Patriots were going to give it to the Steelers and somehow the Patriots are going to lose this game in ugly fashion. But give them credit. They pick it up. They win it. Now, there's a lot of issues that you have with this game, and I'll get into those in just a little bit here. But I do want to start with some of the positive notes from this game. Okay, first of all, one of the biggest question marks we've had all season long and really into the offseason, and for the majority of last year as well, is where are the big fucking plays coming from in this offense? And you got one for today from Nelson Aguilar. 
That was one hell of a catch. And quite frankly, Mac Jones should be paying for his dinner this week because that should have been an interception. Aguilar goes up and basically takes the ball away from Witherspoon. And by the way, in his postgame press conference, Mike Tomlin is basically trashing that play by Witherspoon. But that really comes down to it. The Patriots, because of that play at the end of the half, they dictated terms in the second half of the game. Even though they had issues in the second half, they were able to dictate terms and play on their terms, unlike the Dolphins game, because in this game... It was actually the Patriots and Nelson Aguilar that came up with the big play. And Aguilar is not a big guy. That was a really impressive play. Brings me to the fact that Devontae Parker is supposed to be this contested catch guy. Well, it looks like right now the best guy doing that on the team is Nelson Aguilar because Parker has not been productive for this team whatsoever. And then the other thing I want to mention from a positive perspective, the final drive. And look, part of this is, of course, the Steelers are tired at the end of the game. And I have to imagine... That defense is starting to get pissed off with no production from its offense whatsoever. Mitchell Trubisky was garbage today. That offense cannot do anything. They don't have an offensive line, really, in any way, shape, or form. The way that they've been playing, really going back since last year, that's been a terrible offensive line. But you look at it, final drive. You get the ball back with, what, six minutes and just over 30 seconds left in the game. 6.33 to be exact. 13 plays, 46 yards. Of course, it would have been more than that if you didn't have to kneel at the end of the game. But the big thing to me is we saw for the first time all season long something that we did see a lot of last year. And that was the Patriots did have a dominant running game for the majority of last season. And we saw that today, right? I mean, you just look at that drive. Stevenson had an 11-yard run that got called back for holding, but then they're able to overcome that, right? Because he had a couple of another big runs, six yards, eight yards. Harris had a 16-yarder. He had a two-yarder. He had a nine-yarder. He had a five-yarder. That's how you win the game is those are two of your best skill players when you're talking about the Patriots and Ramondre Steven and Stevenson rather, and Damian Harris. And by the way, Harris did say after the game that he's going to be fine. So the Patriots sort of dodged a bullet there because you can't lose one of those two running backs after, of course, Ty Montgomery is already out of the loop for this team, which could be a good thing, could be a silver line to see more Stevenson and more Harris. But the point being just the fact that you're able to run out the clock. Now, the other guy that was good in this game, I thought Judon showed up a little bit. He had some key plays. Now, he's not dominating the game. Like, at times last year at the beginning of the season, with Judon, he dominated. Now, after the bye week, of course, we all know he was not the same player. But he did come up with some critical plays today, right? I mean, you think about it, at the end of the half, he gets the sack basically to get it to halftime. And then how about the fact that he's covering <laughs> Najee Harris in space? Now, that was a Brutal ball by Mitchell Trubisky, which was one of the themes today. The quarterbacks were absolutely shitty today. But that was a nice play by Judon. Even if it's a poorly thrown ball by the quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, for basically an edge player in Matthew Judon to be able to run with Najee Harris, that was pretty impressive. And the defense in general was impressive. This is the second consecutive week. And I know that last week you're playing Tua, but they had a ton of weapons, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, etc. This team today, I get it. It's Mitchell Trubisky. I, I don't understand why that guy's playing and not the rookie Kenny Pickett. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. There's no way that Pickett's worse than that guy. That guy sucks. But I mean, Patriots dodge a bullet there that they don't. Well, I don't know. We don't know what the rookie would have been. But the point being, you'd much rather play this guy than Kenny Pickett because we all know that Mitchell Trubisky is not a good player. But if you just look at it, they have weapons out there. Deontay Johnson's a good player. I mean, we saw him a couple of times burn Jalen Mills in this game. Claypool, we know, is a good player. Harris is a pretty good running back. I'm not putting him in the family photo of the best running backs in the NFL, but he's pretty good. And the Patriots held the Steelers to 4.2 yards per play. Last year, Carolina was last to the NFL at 4.6 yards per play. So the Patriots defense give them credit the first two weeks of the season they've shown up. Now, 
bigger tests coming with the Lamar Jacksons of the world, the Aaron Rodgers of the world. But that was a question certainly coming into the season. I'm not telling you that this defense is never going to be exposed at all this season or anything along those lines. But the first two weeks, the defense has played well enough for the Patriots to be 2-0. and Remember, one of the plays last week that Miami scores on is because of the offense. They don't pick up the blitz. And we all know that Mac Jones gets hit and Miami ends up with a touchdown right then and there, which really killed the Patriots in that game. But the defense has been good. Another thing that was good today, Kendrick Bourne, two catches for 16 yards. Each was a first down, okay? And the only reason, he should have had three catches, but Mac threw the ball way over his head. And this is just starting to irritate me, and we'll chat with Doug Kite at Pro Football Focus, get the snap count and everything like that about Kendrick Bourne. But I don't understand why Devontae Parker is going to be out there all the time, and Kendrick Bourne's not. Devontae Parker has not been productive whatsoever for this team through two weeks. And I get it. It's only two weeks and the Patriots traded an asset to pick up the player. But think about this. A team in your division, okay, the Miami Dolphins was willing to trade you Devontae Parker. And you could say, well, yeah, that's because they have Jalen Waddell and that's because they have Tyree Kill and all that. Yeah, I understand that. But part of the reason they're bringing in a guy like Tyree Kill, they already have Jalen Waddle, is because they don't think Devontae Parker is a very good player and he doesn't fit their scheme. And I would argue that in some aspect, Mac Jones and Tua need similar players. They need guys that can make things happen after the catch. Devontae Parker is not going to thrive with a guy like Mac that's not a very aggressive quarterback to begin with. And every time it feels like Devontae Parker is targeted, bad things happen. And I don't know why the hell Mac Jones continues to throw him the football because no good results come from it, right? It's another thing today where Mac Jones throws an interception when he's looking Devontae Parker's way. So I'm hoping now that we saw at least Bourne on the field a lot more than we did last week. That this means going forward, Matt Patricia is going to wake the fuck up and start playing Bourne more than Parker. And I don't care like if Bourne's not the perfect X receiver, perfect this receiver. I just want him on the field. He's one of the best players on the team from a skill position standpoint. I would argue he's the most talented receiver. I would just play him more, okay? And I don't want to continue to go on this rant. Every week we do the show and we get to look every week how many snaps is Kendrick Bourne playing compared to how many snaps is Devontae Parker playing. Just play the best players. I Just get over this whole thing about whatever happened in training camp with Matt Patricia and Kendrick Bourne and just play him. Every time this guy's on the field, good things happen. So stop sitting this guy because of your pride or whatever it is. Just play Kendrick Bourne, please. Everybody watching the game can tell that Kendrick Bourne is better than Devontae Parker. Anybody, if you never watched football and you watched the game today, you could say, okay, yeah, that guy's better than the other guy. It's very simple to see. So I don't understand why the Patriots can't just move on. I'm not saying cut Parker. There's definitely ways you can use Parker, but use Bourne more. He's a better player. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Anyway, I don't want to go on too much of a rant about that because we've been doing it basically all season long so far. I get it's only two games, but for the past two weeks and into training camp, we've been talking about this, right? The other thing that irritated me today. Man, the tight ends, okay? Now, look, you got some production last week, but just think about it in this perspective. The Patriots, you know how many catches they got from their tight ends today? As many as you and me. Zero catches from their tight ends. Those guys have a combined $23.3 million cap hit. John U. Smith and Hunter Henry. So I, I don't know what the hell is going on with those guys. And I would argue that at times... You should be trying to get more receivers on the field than having these tight ends out there because these tight ends are just not very productive. And if that means if you can get Kendrick Bourne on the field more and put one of the tight ends or both of the tight ends on the bench, I would be doing that more. 
The tight ends are bringing you nothing right now. And again, I don't know if this is a salary cap thing. There's no reason these guys have to be on the field as much as they are because they're not giving you anything whatsoever. In fact, today, basically, they were DNPs. Now, I know you can go through it and tell, oh, Brian, you did this on a run play. What a great play. Great. Okay. I don't give a shit about that. I give a shit about the fact that this guy or these guys are making $23.3 million and they give you nothing today. Okay. And you cut two tight ends because they weren't good enough on the team. They were on their rookie contract still. You had to overpay these guys and they gave you nothing today. Nothing. Okay. The other issue that you have in this game is the quarterback just wasn't good. And I'm hopeful. Uh, You know how I feel about Mac. I'm optimistic about Mac's future. I think Mac could be a good player in this league. But today, I guess the only excuse you could give Mac is this, is we know that he was sick on Thursday. He missed practice. He was dealing with a stomach situation. Last week, remember, after the game, he didn't speak to the media because he was dealing with a back issue. But I felt today that Mac Jones, now Isaiah Wynn was really bad as well, but Mac Jones is like the Patriots' worst offensive player. And I don't remember watching too many games last year where I looked at the game and I said, hey, Mac Jones is the real problem for this team. Even if you go back to the game where the Patriots were completely outclassed by the Buffalo Bills in that playoff game, Mac Jones was not the problem in that game. Come on. Kendrick Bourne was good in that game. Mac Jones was good in that game. The defense was a no-show. Judon was a no-show. I just can't look at the games last year. I'm not telling you he played well in all the games, but there weren't a lot of games where I'm like, okay, Mac Jones is the reason you lost the game. Now, good for the Patriots that his teammates picked him up today, especially Nelson Aguilar, right? That catch that ends up at a touchdown that should have been an interception. But Mac all day was not good. And look, maybe we can chalk this up to the fact that, you know what, he's dealing with the illness, the injury, he'll be better next week against the Ravens. That's my hope. But when he doesn't play well, we can't sugarcoat it. He was really fucking bad today. You look at the first drive of the game, incomplete pass to Hunter Henry, who didn't have a catch in the game, but he threw that too early to Henry. So, hey, maybe you would have had one reception from a tight end for that $23.3 million combined cap hit if Mac threw that ball in time. Bad pass by Mac on the first drive. Third and eight on that same drive, Mac picks up a delay a game. So basically that renders the drive ineffective because we know the Patriots aren't going to overcome a penalty like that. But then on the second drive of the game, so that's when you have to settle for a field goal. And again, that was well scripted by the Patriots coaching staff. They were moving down the field just like they were against the Dolphins prior to the pick, which I put on Mac and I know it was a missed call. But today, same thing. Drive stalls out because you have negative plays. You look at the second drive of the game for Mac Jones and the Patriots. That's when he has the interception to Parker where he just throws it into double coverage. I mean, there's no reason for Mac Jones to make that pass. No reason whatsoever. Myers and Aguilar were both open. So I I don't know what he's doing throwing that ball into traffic with Devontae Parker. Makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's a bad decision by the quarterback, right? This isn't about the scheme. This isn't about the offensive coordinator. This isn't about the personnel. That was a bad decision by the quarterback when you had guys that were open. Fifth drive of the game right after half. Mac throws a ball way over Bourne's head. Just a brutal throw. And then the Patriots, of course, remember, they missed that long field goal. Folk does the 52-yarder. Fifth drive, or I should say sixth drive of the game, Mac is forced out of the pocket, and he throws the ball right to Sutton. That ball should have been intercepted. So if you do the math on this, Mac really should have had three interceptions on the day. I mean, that easily could have been picked. That was thrown right to Sutton. And this, again, is a theme with Mac. It seems like if he can't get rid of the ball quickly, he does tend to panic. And especially when he gets out of the pocket, like he's running to his left side and he just throws the ball like that. It's a careless mistake by the quarterback. And then if you look at it, too. At the end of the game, before the final drive, which I give the Patriots credit for, where they're basically able to milk the rest of the clock, that final, that drive before that, the Patriots have a chance to end the game. So Mac, in that particular drive on third down, remember he throws to Jonu Smith, who was double covered. That was just 
happy feet from Mac Jones. That was a complete panic situation where you could see Kendrick Bourne was coming open. And actually on the other side of the play, Myers is open as well. And the thing about this one is this isn't me just saying, oh, look, it looks way easier to do it, right? When you're watching on TV, the reality is you could see it. Mac Jones is not under pressure on that play. And he just threw it to Jonu Smith into double coverage for no reason. I, I don't understand what he was doing. So definitely going forward, you dodged a bullet that your quarterback played this poorly and you won the game. And part of that is the quarterback that was on the other side we know is not good either. But Mac Jones, flat out, he has got to be better. There's no way around it. And then the other thing is this, just in terms of drive killers from this offense, right? Because they did have some good drives and they would continually get stalled out. A couple of them were stalled out by Mac, the interception, of course. And we gave you the drive at the end of the game there where he just throws into double coverage. But if you go to the third drive of the game, when Mac was blitzed, they don't pick it up. He gets an intentional grounding. Again, that's a bad play by Mac. He can't get intentional grounding there. But nonetheless, then you have a holding on win. So back-to-back negative plays. You look at the fifth drive of the game, Isaiah Wynn jumps. So you had all these issues in terms of just drive killers, too many mistakes. And Isaiah Wynn had a really rough day. And this team really dodged a bolt in the sense that we didn't see a guy like TJ Watt, the reigning defending defensive player of the year. But bottom line is this. This Patriots team has got to be better. They have got to be more consistent offensively. They have, And we talked with uh, James White about this earlier in this week. They've got to cut out the mental errors. And that goes with the quarterback and that goes with the offensive line. Because the reality is this. The Patriots are just not a good enough team to overcome putting themselves in bad situation after bad situation after bad situation. And we saw it too many times today. And I would just ask you, how many other offenses would only score 14 points? And look, I'm not trying to take away anything from the Patriots defense, but they because they played well today. But the Patriots caught a lot of breaks in this game because of who the quarterback was on the other side. If you had a quality quarterback on the other side, not a guy like Mitchell Trubisky, the Patriots would have lost this game. So it's great that they improved to one and one. And you feel good about that because it's a lot better than what the alternative would have been if you actually lost, lost this game in Pittsburgh. Then it's real panic time. And it's a complete disaster for this team. But the bottom line is this. They have got to be significantly better next week against Baltimore and against the Packers going forward. Definitely plenty for this team to work on. All right, a lot more to get into. We're going to chat with Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus. Interested to get his take on this game. And in particular, remember last week, one of the things we mentioned, Mac Jones, only two attempts out of play action. He didn't attempt a single pass out of RPO. And that's something that Mac has really been good at throughout his career. So I want to get into that with Doug in terms of did they actually incorporate some of this stuff today? You saw a couple more today, but we'll get the final numbers on that from Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus in just a little bit. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need. 
to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. Welcome back into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus, it is Doug Kai. Doug, thanks so much for taking some time, man. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime, Brian. Yeah, so this was a strange one, Doug. I got to tell you, just (laughs) from a Patriots fan perspective, I was really getting nervous there because it felt like they had the game won, and then it felt like they were going to give it back to the Steelers. What were your thoughts just initially in this game where it felt like the Patriots could have won this thing, they could have blown the Steelers out, but they kept letting them back into the game? It, it kind of felt like one of the the old school, uh, like 2003, 2004 type victories for the Patriots where you kind of, you know, look up in the fourth quarter and you're like, oh, they're going to win this game. Good good run game by the Patriots, really good defense. Uh, Mac Jones definitely didn't play like Tom Brady in this game. I think that Mac Jones might have actually been their biggest issue overall, which is something that we could obviously talk about a little bit later. But just kind of an old school grinded out, uh, hard fought victory for the Patriots, which I think is what they needed in this one. Yeah, I'm with you, Doug, where they just really needed almost like the Jimmy V motto, survive at advance, right? Just get through it, get a victory after what happened with Tua and the Dolphins last week. But you hit on it, Mac Jones. I totally agree with you. I thought that was the biggest issue in the game today. I mean, even if you look at the Patriots' biggest offensive play, the throw down the sideline to Nelson Aguilar, I really look at that play, and Charles Davis said it on the broadcast as well, Mac got bailed out. He could have easily been intercepted in this game, Doug, three to four times from my count. And it's really concerning because I feel like this is one of those games and we can get into some of the details with the play calling and whatnot. But I looked at this game and I looked at the quarterback and he wasn't nearly good enough. And there really wasn't that many excuses for Mac in the game today. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought the pass protection was pretty decent in this game. Um, I thought, you know, especially on that catch by Nelson Aguilar, the receivers for the most part played well. Uh, I know that we at PFF had Mac down for two turnover worthy plays. And obviously that doesn't include the catch by, by Nelson Aguilar in there, but it does include his actual interception. And then another one that was dropped by a Steelers defender. And yeah, I mean, I, you'd like to see more out of Mac Jones. In some ways, it's a good sign that they were still able to win, despite this certainly not being his best game. I thought he turned it up a little bit there at the end. Um, but overall, I think Mac Jones definitely has to play better for the Patriots if they do hope to keep winning these games because Steelers have a good defense, but they were also without TJ Watt in this game. And if TJ Watt had played, then maybe that offensive line does become an issue because Isaiah Wynn actually did have kind of a tough time against Alex Highsmith in this game. If TJ Watt was coming off the other side against Trent Brown, then I think that Mac probably would have played actually even worse in this one. Yeah, that's a good point. Wynn had a couple of penalties in this game and yeah, if they had their full complement of pass rushers, the Patriots could have been in real trouble. What jumped out to you today, though, about Mac? Obviously, we mentioned the one with Aguilar, but To me, Doug, it almost feels like, and I don't know if this is because of how last season ended, it almost feels like he gets a little bit uncomfortable as time goes on in the pocket. I know that happens to a lot of quarterbacks, but I look at, they had a chance to ice the game prior to the final drive where it was great to see them just pound the football, but that play where he just forces it into double coverage to Jonu Smith, it felt like you could see Bourne about to uncover and become open, and it looked like Myers was open on the other side as well. Do you think it's sort of like a panicky thing going on with Mac right now? Yeah, that was that was one of the more egregious plays to me, too, just because he wasn't getting pressured on the play. He had time. And it's it's almost also like he's not seeing things because 
On the interception by Minka Fitzpatrick, I'm not sure if you saw Minka Fitzpatrick back there and ready to pick off that ball. And I question whether he saw the second defender on that throw to Johnny Smith, where he forced it into double, double coverage when, like you said, other receivers were coming open on that play. So it's either he's not seeing things or maybe he's rushing things a little bit out there, but it does feel like he's still not fully comfortable in this offense. Um, and I, I mean, obviously that all harkens back to the fact that you've got a defensive coach and a special teams coach essentially running the offense right now. So I do think that this was definitely a, a positive sign in the right direction for the Patriots, but you just definitely want to see Mac Jones get a little bit more comfortable here moving forward. Yeah. And Doug, maybe one way they can do that is, I don't know, call me crazy, play the Kendrick Bourne guy, because every time he's on the field, it feels like good things happen, right? He picks up two first downs today. And by the way, getting back to Mac, he missed him on another first down. So Kendrick Bourne should have had three catches on three targets, three first downs. And we know what he did last week when he came in late. And then I look on the flip side of that and I watch Devontae Parker. And again, I'm not blaming Parker for this. This was Mac's mistake, but Again, on a play that Parker was targeted, there's an interception. So Max throwing two interceptions both times. He's looking for Devontae Parker. I just wonder, Doug, what's going to have to happen for this team to realize that it feels like Bourne is just, and I know it's not the perfect guy to put outside, but Bourne's a better player than Parker. I'm just, I'm so baffled by this whole thing. Well, I think there was also another catch by Kendrick Bourne that was called back by a penalty as well. Yep. I might be off on that, but I, no, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, and Nelson Aguilar are the three best wide receivers on, on the Patriots. And I might even go as far as to say that I haven't looked at the personnel packages that the Patriots used uh, in this game yet, but they're probably better off putting those three receivers on the field rather than two tight ends so I'd probably maybe split the snaps between Aguilar um, and Devontae Parker, just because those guys are probably your third and fourth best wide receivers. Um, and then probably split the snaps between Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith as well, just because those guys really aren't getting a lot done right now. But it, it certainly seems like when Devontae Parker is targeted, it's usually a contested catch situation. Um, it's not a high percentage play. And you're better off having that smaller, shiftier guy in Kendrick Bourne, who you know can get open, who you saw last year could make plays, that I know for a fact that Mac Jones really likes Kendrick Bourne. I know that Bill Belichick likes Kendrick Bourne. So I do think this is more of an issue with the other guys who are running the show on offense. The one positive sign I would say here is that uh, Kendrick Bourne played a lot more in this game. He had 22 receiving snaps in this game. He only had two snaps overall in week one. So that snap count is definitely starting to rise. But I'd like to see it surpass guys like Devontae Parker. Love it. Free born, baby. Let's go. More born against the Ravens. It it's uh, interesting too to look at the whole Parker situation. And I'm and I'm not comparing the two players, but it almost reminds me of because obviously he's a contested catch guy. Odell Beckham Jr. is not that. But do you remember when Baker Mayfield got Odell Beckham Jr. and he felt like he had to force the ball to him? I almost feel like that's what Mac is doing when Devontae Parker's out there. And I know he didn't get as many targets today, but it almost feels like he just feels like, okay, we traded for this guy. Obviously, the coaching staff likes him. And it just feels like every pass to Parker is forced when he doesn't have to make those passes. Like the one today, there was no reason to make that throw. I'm with you. I also think that, you know, there's there's opportunities to use Devontae Parker. You don't need to just simply sit him on the bench. In training camp, uh, he looked best near the goal line, in the red zone, making those jump ball catches. Not sure if you necessarily need to do that in the middle of the field with him as much. And the other thing that I've noticed um, with Mac Jones and the Patriots offense in general is that I'm seeing far too many situations where it's third and short 
and, and Mac Jones is firing the ball 40 yards downfield. And I can understand that, you know, it worked out on that Nelson Aguilar uh, catch. Yeah. That was actually a third and short situation where he fires it down the field. A Nelson Aguilar makes a contested catch and they get a touchdown out of it. I'm not sure if it's worth the other situations, because I think they had three or four of those today, where it's third and short, and it's a deep ball, and then Bill Belichick isn't being risky enough to actually go for it then on that fourth and short situation. So that's one thing that I'd like to see scaled back. I'm not sure, once again, if that's the play calling or if that if that's Mac Jones' decision, um, but I'd like them to be maybe a little bit more conservative on those plays, but I also wouldn't mind the team being a little bit more risky on fourth down. Yeah, Doug, this is kind of a working theory I've had because you mentioned the aggressiveness or lack thereof of Bill Belichick. It feels like to me, I've noticed it over the past two years, and I wonder if it's sort of because last week when they with 117 at the end of the second quarter, they don't take that time out. Like to me, that was just mind numbing. I don't know why he didn't do that. But a lot of these clock decisions. I look back and say the guy that hasn't been here the past two years is Ernie Adams. I wonder if that's part of it. It's just a conspiracy theory, but maybe it is like he doesn't have that. And wasn't that supposed to be like Patricia's original role? Like everybody thought he could replace Ernie Adams. Yeah, I think that, you know, people thought that because it's not only Ernie Adams that they also lost in that situation. I'm not saying that this is necessarily what he was doing, but you had Nick Casario in the past in the coach's booth as well. And he was really helping out Josh McDaniels for years and years and years on offense. Um, I think in, you know, clock management situations, certainly with personnel packages and everything like that. So you're losing two guys who had been in the coach's booth for 20 years and Nick Casario and Ernie Adams. And at that point, yeah, you that's a lot of value being lost there just on in-game decision-making. And I'm not sure if that's really been replaced at this point. I would guess that it's probably Evan Rothstein who's doing some of that now. Uh, he came over with Matt Patricia. He was kind of that guy for Matt Patricia with the Detroit Lions. Evan Rothstein works with, he was working with Bailey Zappi a lot during training camp as kind of an assistant quarterbacks coach. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's taking on a lot more of that, but that's certainly a massive downgrade experience-wise going from Casario uh, and Ernie Adams to a guy like Evan Rothstein, who's only about 35, 36 years old, somewhere in that range. Man, I got to tell you, Patricia's got a lot of pull with this organization for some inexplicable reason. I don't understand it, but apparently he's getting guys hired. He's bringing in players. It's amazing to me. But so speaking of Patricia... What did you make today? Because we went back and last week, Doug, you know, the big story was, okay. well, Mac didn't attempt a single pass out of an RPO. He only had two attempts out of play action going back to Alabama. And even last year, even though they didn't use him a lot, he was very good in play action. He's very good in RPOs. What did you see today from that? I know you guys track all this stuff at PFF. Yeah, based on our our first review, we had Mac Jones with two RPO plays, which is a, a slight uptick from last week when it was zero. Uh, he was only one for two for five yards. He completed a short pass to Nelson Aguilar off an RPO. Uh, he also uh, attempted a pass behind the line of scrimmage to Johnny Smith that went incomplete. So certainly not a lot from an RPO perspective. And that's still something that's a little bit perplexing to me because I'd heard early in the, earlier, earlier in the offseason, really as far back as like, February that the Patriots were planning on implementing some of the things that Mac Jones did at Alabama into the Patriots offense. And at least so far early in the season, we haven't seen that there were more play action plays. Uh, Mac Jones was three for five on play action for 42 yards, not overly productive, but once again, last week, he was only two for two for 22 yards. So maybe we see that slightly starting to gradually incline or over the course of the season. Uh, But it does feel like, 
you know, they won today. They were slightly productive, certainly more productive than the Steelers offense. Um, but you would like to see them, you know, get a little bit more creative on offense and play to those strengths that Mac Jones has. Yeah, you know what? It's so aggravating to me too, Doug, because look, I'm not defending Mac Jones's performance today. We alluded to that at the beginning of how he played poorly, but I just don't understand it. Like I look at a guy like Tua and I see what Mike McDaniel's been doing with him, all the play action passes, et cetera. We see it across the league. I mean, I think about a guy like Arthur Smith, right? Ryan Tannehill really starts to become a good player under Arthur Smith, not LaFleur. LaFleur had already left to go to Green Bay. They start running a ton of play action. Tannehill leads the league and then he leads the league in passer rating. I just, I don't understand why the Patriots don't sort of dig into the low-hanging fruit in the NFL, especially when you have a quarterback that we've seen in the past, he's been really good at these things. I just, I can't comprehend why. Yeah, and just for comparison's sake, since you brought it up, uh, so like I said, Mac Jones, five dropbacks on play action today. Tua Tonga-Vailoa, 21 dropbacks in play action today, 14 of 19, 148 yards, touchdown. Um, I'll, I'll pull up the RPOs as well real quick just because I have it in front of me. Uh, and it, yeah, in week two today against the Ravens, seven RPOs versus Mac Jones with two. Obviously, there were more passing situations overall for the Dolphins, but it's really not even comparable. One thing I will say now that we're talking about the Dolphins is that after watching that Dolphins game against the Ravens, you do have to feel better about the Patriots defense overall because they were able to stymie the Steelers today. And certainly it's Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback, but they've still got a lot of decent weapons in that offense. And this, I thought the Patriots defense did a good job against them. And comparatively speaking, Patriots did a much better job against Tua and that Mike McDaniel offense than the Ravens did today. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. Like, if you look at the defense, it's it's been really good through the first couple of weeks, right? I know we all remember, of course, the play at the end of the half, the fourth and two, whatever, with Jalen Waddell. I put that more on, or fourth and eight, rather. I put that more on Bill than I do. Like, okay, Duggar's going to make a tackle, but I put that more on the mismanagement of the clock than anything else. But if you look at it today, 4.2 yards per play, even if it is Mitchell Trubisky, as you mentioned, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. What's jumped out to you so far about the defense so far this year, Doug? It's it's an odd group because there's not a lot of stars in it, I would say. And Dietrich Wise might probably be the their best overall player through two weeks at this point. He he's making an impact, but you know, you're not seeing a, a ton of pressure from guys like Christian Barmore or Matt Judon yet. They did both have sacks today, but they're not, you know, creating six pressures a game or anything like that. I thought that actually, based on our grading today, Jalen Mills was the Patriots' lowest graded defender. Uh, he let up seven catches on 10 targets for 90 yards. He did have the interception, but I felt like that was more of a, a Mac Wilson play than it was a Jalen Mills play because Mac Wilson made that pretty incredible diving pass breakup that deflected the ball to Jalen Mills. But I'd say that just overall, this is a defense that's gelling well together and playing well together, and they seem to really all know what to do. There's not a lot. There weren't a lot of breakdowns today. Obviously there was on that play by Jalen Waddle in week one. Uh, but beyond that, there weren't a lot of other breakdowns on defense. So I owe that to the coaching of Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick. I'm not sure how involved Bill Belichick is on the defense right now, since he has to kind of monitor the offense, but uh, I'll throw credit where it's due to, to Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo on that. Because like I said, I don't think this is a team that is overly talented on defense. Yeah, I'm with you. And the Jalen Mills, like the one play that stuck out to me in a negative way was just he got turned around at one point by Deontay Johnson. But it did feel like in his defense, they were playing soft coverage a lot on those receivers, giving up a little bit of cushion there. But you know what jumped out to me? And it's funny you mentioned with the Belichick angle in this. I cannot ever remember seeing watching a Patriots game and Bill Belichick 
a la Sean McVay, has his back turned to the field when his defense was out there. He's literally talking to like Joe Judge and Mac Jones after the first series of the game, Doug. I And look, I knew that he was going to have a bigger role in the offense, etc. But I never thought we would ever see the day where Belichick was not actually looking at the field when his defense was out there. I mean, that was unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's it's like going back to his days early on with the Cleveland Browns when he was running their offense and he was able to trust Nick Saban on defense. Certainly, they don't have Nick Saban on defense right now, but I think that, you know, as I mentioned, I think it does show the confidence and trust that he's got in Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo. And it might just be comparison sake, the fact that, you know, you've got these super inexperienced, at least on offense coaches uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So uh, comparatively speaking, Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo certainly know what they're doing a lot more. But I also think that the fact that, you know, they've got Matt Patricia back on the team. He led the Patriots to three, four Super Bowls. I forgot what it was, four Super Bowls when he was the, the main defensive assistant coach. The fact that he didn't put him on defense, I think, does show the confidence that he's got in Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo. And I was running the numbers even uh, for a piece that I wrote last week. Matt Patricia, generally the Patriots EPA per play against on defense when Matt Patricia was the defensive play caller, was right around like 16th or 17th best in the NFL. Obviously, they had Tom Brady. They were still able to win. They were able to win Super Bowls. Since Matt Patricia left, that's dropped way down to like fourth best in the NFL. So based on like an analytical perspective, the Patriots defense has been very good since Patricia left when it was Flores running the defense for one year and then Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo for the rest of the years. Yeah, I remember that in 18, too, like what was coming out of that locker room is that it was simplified, that it was easier to play and guys were playing faster that 18 season, which they were really carried by the defense at the end of the year. Obviously, Brady had the great game against the Chiefs in the AFC title game, but it was really about the defense and the running game, which brings me back to this running game. So they end up today 4.1 yards per rush. I did feel like it was nice to see them, the combination of Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris, and Harris said after the game, he's good, but those two guys really closing it out but it does feel like last week maybe it's just because of the score dictated it they didn't run the ball a lot what have you made of their running game through the first couple of games here yeah I thought it was an improvement today I'd still probably like to see them run the ball a little bit more early in the game just because there's certainly a possibility that Damien Harris and Ramondre Stevenson could wind up being the strength of the team on offense this year just if Mac Jones doesn't necessarily progress the way that people expected him to um, but I thought that especially there at the end of the game Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson were running well and running well when it mattered. Um, so I thought that, you know, based on our grading, Ramondre Stevenson played a little bit better than Damian Harris. There was another situation where he did have one run that was, I believe, called back due to a holding penalty as well. Um, it might have been even more than that that was called back. But I think that, you know, it's going to wind up being a two-headed monster there. I was uh, definitely interested to see what they would do on third down with those two guys today as well with Ty Montgomery out of the game before the game, I was told by someone, you know, within the, within the staff that the Patriots had trust with Ramondre Stevenson on third down, and they would give him a chance uh, to earn that third down role. He did wind up playing more third down snaps than Damian Harris. It was 10 for Stevenson, seven for Damian Harris. But I think that you'll probably continue to see that split moving forward here while Montgomery is out. And I would say that, you know, I'm not sure if this is what the Patriots hope, but Patriots fans should probably hope that Stevenson and Harris are so good on third down that Montgomery winds up actually losing that role. Just because I think that Stevenson and Harris have far more upside than Ty Montgomery does.
Yeah, I'm with you on that, especially with Stevenson in terms of his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, which we haven't seen a ton of throughout his short tenure here with the Patriots. But he definitely looks like a guy that's capable of it. It looks like he has good hands. And I was kind of surprised like last week going back and looking at it that they only used Mac only through three screens in that game. I know they tried to set up a tight end screen today to John U. Smith, but I'm wondering if they try to dig into more of a screen game and try to get the ball out of Max hands quickly for the Ramondre Stevensons of the world. Yeah, I think that we could wind up seeing that. Um, you know, Ramondre Stevenson, like you said, he's got really good hands, uh, certainly imp- improving as a pass blocker as well. Both him and Harris graded out well in our first review as pass blockers. But yeah, I mean, you want to get the ball in space to your best playmakers. And I would say, at least in the passing game, that's probably Ramondre Stevenson. And that's probably Kendrick Bourne. And, you know, we, we had the Kendrick Bourne conversation earlier. There's certainly ways to get him involved in the game more and get him on the field more. So I'd say that overall, you know, it's it's a good sign maybe that they were able to win, despite the fact that there are still some some potential upgrades to this offense by getting Stevenson more involved, by getting Kendrick Bourne more involved. So, yeah, but I, I think the screen game, getting that uh, going is certainly important for the Patriots and just getting Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris a little bit more involved early in the offense too. All right. That is Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus. Doug, thanks so much for taking some time on week two of the NFL season. I know you guys get a lot going on, so we really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Anytime, Brian. This was fun. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. All right, welcome back into Off the Pike. Thanks so much to Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus. Great stuff from him. That was really fun to talk with him right after the game so we could actually get some of the numbers on the formations, but more importantly, the play action, the RPO stuff. I don't know why they're not doing that more. That is going to drive me crazy. That's going to be one of the things that we have to document every week because it makes zero sense that they're not doing it. I mean, that was great stuff from Doug giving us the comparison to Tua. Tua's thrown out of RPOs all the time, thrown out of play action all the time. And look at the success that that guy's having. And look, I know I was rough on Mac earlier today because he did not have a good game. But the bottom line is when you look at Tua, he's not as talented as Mac Jones. I will continually say that Mac Jones is better than Tua. So they came out of the same offense. They ran the same offense at Alabama, and Mac was actually better in that offense than Tua was. So Mike McDaniel is there in Miami running all that stuff. Why aren't the Patriots running more of that stuff for Mac? I mean, it's just, it is mind-boggling to me and is aggravating to me. The other big thing, of course, we know in today's game that Kendrick Bourne, at least the snaps are up with him, so great to get the actual number 22 snaps in terms of passing snaps for Kendrick Bourne. Great stuff from Doug Kyde there. So that was a lot of fun talking with him, and Doug brought up a good point about the defense, man. The defense has been significantly better than I thought it was going to be coming into the season. Now, not, of course, a potent offense that you go up against today. But remember, it is kind of weird if you look at where we are this year. Nobody's talking about the defensive play caller. Remember, that was such a huge story last year because 
After that game against the Dallas Cowboys, when it was the most yards ever given up by a Bill Belichick defense, it was, wait, who is calling the plays defensively? And then it was, remember, we got the reporting, I believe it was from Greg Bedard at the time, that, hey, Bill Belichick took over the defense now. He's calling the plays defensively. And then we got all this stuff about, hey, well, actually, Steve's calling the plays, but Gerard Mayo is running the meetings. The defense, that was a whole issue last year. And give Steve Belichick, give Gerard Mayo, give that defensive coaching staff in general some credit here because the defense has been really good to start the season. Now, we'll see what happens next week when you go up against a guy like Lamar Jackson and then against Aaron Rodgers. But what we've seen so far for the defense, you can only judge him by who the opposition was. They've been pretty damn good to start the season, and they've needed it because of the way that this offense has played so far this year. We need to get to one Red Sox thing because over the weekend, and you would think, okay, small thing, right? Kevin Ploiecki was released by the team. Now, some of this has to do with the CBA in terms of how many players you can have, et cetera. So that's unfortunately where Ploiecki was at. They get rid of him. And you can sort of understand it from a baseball perspective, right? Because you didn't need the third catcher right now. And you want to see Reese McGuire and Connor Wong play pretty much those two playing every day. Switching off, of course, but those two getting the playing time because that could be your catching tandem entering the 2023 season as this team, of course, is in last place. So it made sense from a baseball perspective to get rid of Kevin Ploiecki. But I do think that there is an element to this. I don't think I know that there is an element to this where you have guys in the clubhouse who, again, are questioning the front office. So Nathan Avaldi talked to my buddy Rob Bradford. And here is what he told Rob yesterday after Ploiecki was let go. I understand it's a tough decision, but you want to build a championship around guys like that. Guys who are going to do what it takes to win ballgames and do whatever they have to do to help the team win. And I felt he was doing that. We had, how about this, Schwarber last year and Hunter Renfro and certain guys like that. There are the guys that do little things right on the field and off the field and you're in the clubhouse. It's hard to find a player who interacts with both pitchers and position players. Sometimes you can be a little divisive, but when you have guys like Plow, of course, that's Ploiecki, Renfro, and Schwarber, all those guys were extremely good guys in the clubhouse. I think sometimes that goes in a little further than productivity or whatever on the field. To me, that was very difficult. It was difficult to lose a guy like him, even where we're in the season in the last few weeks. So he understands like where they are in the standings. Everybody does. He can't ignore that. But the biggest thing to me about this is not the Ploiecki portion of the equation. He brought up Schwarber and Renfro. Rob didn't ask Nathan Avaldi about Hunter Renfro and Kyle Schwarber, right? At this point in the season, they're not really relevant, right? I mean, those are guys that... We ranted about all season long and prior to the season, why aren't both those guys, why isn't at least one of those guys still here? Nathan Avaldi, who of course was the Red Sox best pitcher in 2021, he started the wild card game. He is considered to be the leader of the pitching staff. He's coming out and he's saying this as we have now what? Two weeks left in the season and the Red Sox are nowhere close to a playoff spot and they have massively underachieved and you have a leader of the team pointing this shit out to the guy running the front office. Basically, what he's saying here without saying it, we should have had Schwarber and Renfro. And he almost did basically say it. Think about that. Think about how bad of a look that is for Heim Bloom right now that a player on the team is saying that. And part of that is this. The Red Sox have never approached Evaldi about a contract extension. Now, we could get into an argument on whether or not you want him back. I would rather have Waka back than Evaldi. The velocity down. He's been dealing with so many injuries this year. Not to say that Waka is like the picture of health, but I'd rather have Walker back here next year than I would Nathan Evaldi to begin with. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about... 
This guy has never been approached by the front office about anything, doesn't know his status going forward with the team, et cetera, all that different type of stuff. And then he's back here basically playing on that one-year contract. And these guys, they're not different than the fan base. They feel like you and I do right now. They feel like Heim Bloom has let them down by what he did prior to the season where he made the big league club worse. He actually made a team that was two wins away from the World Series. He went out there and he made them worse with the moves he made. Not the moves he didn't make. Most of them are moves that he actually made. So they let Schwarber go. They're not interested in him whatsoever. It makes no sense to me. But the Renfro thing also... They traded Renfro away and they didn't get an everyday right fielder. And how about this? This just kind of points out how bad it's been. So the Red Sox entered Sunday with 136 home runs on the season. That was 21st in Major League Baseball. They entered Sunday with 38 outfield home runs. That was 28th in baseball. So a pretty easy math on that, right? Only two teams have less home runs from their outfield than the Boston Red Sox. Remember, Hunter Renfro last year hit 31 bombs. 31 of them. Schwarber this season is second in Major League Baseball in home runs behind only Aaron Judge with 39. He could have been on the Red Sox. Hunter Renfro has 25 home runs, which is tied for 31st in Major League Baseball. And so this is just something going forward. And in all likelihood, Nathan Evaldi is not going to be a member of this organization after this season. And he was a great member of this team. 18, of course, he was great in the postseason. He was the Red Sox best pitcher last year. He's been a really good member of this organization. And originally, that contract that Dave Nabrowski, admittedly, I didn't think it was a good contract. It has worked out for the Red Sox. The one that hasn't worked out, of course, is Chris Sale. But Evaldi's been a great member of this organization, does all the right things. And he's basically letting you know on the way out the door that you guys better be careful. Because this guy running the team right now, he's a problem. He is a problem. We were trying to win a World Series. The fan base wanted us to try to go for it. And look at what he did. He willingly went out of his way to make the team worse. I don't understand, like, what is the other rationale behind what Bloom did? He made the team worse, and I that should never be acceptable. And I can totally understand rebuilding the farm system, loading up. The, I, I understand all that. But he willingly made the big league club worse after the run they made last year. Unbelievable to me. All right, we'll be back, of course, in a couple of days here. And by the way, we got a big Red Sox guest coming up. He may be the manager of the team, Alex Cora. So we'll be talking with Alex Cora this week and we'll get into all the details with this team and what's going on the remainder of the season because there are some bright spots with the team I want to get into with the manager as well. And as always, if you want to leave a voicemail after, say, like one of these Patriots games, certainly can if you want to rant during the game, you want to go nuts about Matt Patricia or Kendrick Bourne's playing time, that number is 617-396-7172, 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Srudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.